So the other day I was taking a walk with my friend and she just out of the blue said, you know, the definition of parent is anxiety. So I thought for a minute and uh, I realized, yeah, actually you have this like little baby that just like enters your life and you look at them and you're like, oh God, I have to take care of this kid forever. And all of a sudden you're the one that makes all the rules. And it is, it's our job to keep kids safe. And part of normal development is that kids really need to take risks. They have to try new things. They need to do this so that they can develop self-esteem. They have to have confidence so they can try harder things when they're older. And they only can do that if they trip and fall and scrape their knees when they're little. I only have a few rules for my own kids. They have to wear helmets on anything that has wheels. They have to buckle up in the car and they need to brush their teeth. And otherwise, I generally let my kids run around, jump and play without a lot of intervention. But that's because I'm a pediatrician who worked in an emergency room for 10 years and I know what's really dangerous. It's easy to see everything is dangerous when you're a parent if you're not sure what to worry about. But the bottom line is your child is far more likely to be harmed by things that you aren't even thinking about. Today, I'm going to be talking with Dr. Joelle D'Onofrio Odeman. She is the Deputy Chief Medical Officer for the City of San Diego and a pediatric emergency room doctor. And she's the UC San Diego Associate Professor of Clinical Pediatrics and Clinical Emergency Medicine. We're going to talk about some of the surprising things that make our palms sweat. I'm Dr. Wendy Hunter, and I'm the pediatrician next door. I'm that doctor friend you call for practical advice about your kid's health. I mix the science of medicine with the reality of parenting. I met Dr. Joelle D'Onofrio Odeman when we worked together in the pediatric emergency room. Actually, at the time she was Dr. D'Onofrio, she was not yet an Odeman, had not yet hyphenated. Now, she's the medical director of emergency medical services at Reedy Children's Hospital in San Diego, and she's also a mother. We're talking about the things that kids do that scare us and some of the things that seem to scare other parents, but really aren't dangerous at all. Do you ever have that experience as a mother where you're at a playground or on a play date and you're looking over and you're watching these other mothers just like freak out about their kid climbing to the top of the slide? Or my favorite one is where a kid picks up food off the ground and eats it and their parent like freaks out. Do you know what the experiences I'm talking about? Yes, yes, I'm I'm completely fine with my kid picking things up off the ground and putting it in their mouth, as long as it's not a choking hazard. Right, okay, so that's what I wanted to talk about, is that the other piece of it is that when I'm in clinics, I'm now, you know, a pediatrician, I'm not in the ER anymore. So parents come in all the time and tell me that they haven't started solid foods because they're afraid or they tried solid foods and they are making sure that they're really, really soft and small enough. And I'm looking at like a 10-month-old, right, who I'm like, you need to be eating real food. And I realized like, okay, yeah, you're supposed to gag. You're supposed to choke because that's how you learn how to eat, right? But then there are those things that I am really scared of. So, okay, here's what I'm scared of, of choking. And then you can tell me what you're scared of. Okay, popped balloons is like my biggest fear. So the other day too, there was this kid who had blown up one of the gloves in the exam room and she was just going around the room biting on it. And I just was like on edge the whole time worried that she was going to pop it and then inhale a piece of it. And I was going to be dealing with like a real choking emergency. So what choking hazards do you worry about? It's so funny because I should, if you had my husband who is not medically trained on this podcast with us, you would see that all of my fears, which are legitimate because I see them come into the ER, are not his fears. It's really funny. We have different fears. 
uh, I share your fears. So when he gives my my daughter a balloon in the house and she's running around biting it, it freaks me out. But not as much as hot dogs, like uncut hot dogs where it's just the whole thing or perfectly round. Because all I'm thinking about is if you have a perfectly round object, it can occlude the airway. And how hard will it be for me to actually get it out of my child's throat with a Heimlich or with like body removal processes? Like literally that is what I'm looking at is when you eat it, if that goes down your airway instead of swallowing it, how hard will it be for you to cough that up? Unobserved eating of nuts, of grapes. A lot of ER doctors have a fear of uh, popcorn, but I actually don't have the fear of popcorn that a lot of them do. And I, I don't quite know, know the popcorn part. I feel the same way about the popcorn. It doesn't freak me out either. You probably should wait till age two, but I've never seen anybody choke really badly on popcorn. Magnets, the buckyball magnets. <laughs> okay, tell me what scares you about buckyball magnets. Why? Because they're small. You can put them in your mouth. And if you eat more than one of them, they can get attracted and magnetized in the intestines and cause perforation and cause like big emergencies. And so any swallowing of strong magnets of more than one. And here's the thing, your kid can't talk. So they can't tell you if there's more than one. You can't be like, there's only one magnet. You don't know. So you have to go into the ER and get an x-ray. So choking round hard objects, peanuts, almonds. Like we have a lot of nuts in our house. We watch out for those grapes, uncut grapes, uncut hot dogs. And, And when you cut them, you have to cut them in a form that it removes the circular part that gets choked. So I... I actually take my hot dogs and I cut them longitudinally instead of round coins because you're basically trying to avoid the coin shape. So you want to cut foods that are not the shape of the trachea. Exactly. Exactly. If your kid chokes on something and it gets stuck in the trachea, air can still pass through. Perfect. Okay. So now we need to put up a picture of the uh, interior of a trachea. Yes. The diameter. Okay, so swallowed foreign bodies. I love swallowed foreign bodies because most of them are completely nothing to be worried about, right? A quarter, I've seen a million kids swallowing a penny or a quarter and it goes right through, no problem. But what are some of the things that might scare you besides the buckyballs? The button batteries. And I remember Ellie was a toddler. I think she was around, she was at the oral phase, maybe a year old. And I had to replace my car key and my car key requires a button battery in it. And I remember they sold the button battery in a two-pack. I couldn't get just a single button battery. And I did not want a spare button battery floating around my house because that is one where if your kid swallows a button battery, it is a true emergency. Within 12 hours, the erosion of the battery can actually wear a hole through the esophagus. Like That is a true emergency to swallow a button battery. (laughs) They are something that I am paranoid about in my house. I had a patient, it was the like the worst nasal foreign body I've ever seen. And I, most, you know, kids put things in their nose all the time and it's easy to pop them out. But I had a kid who had a, a button battery in her nose and it only been there like two hours and the acid like ate all the way through her septum within just a yes. few hours. They terrify me too. They've, and they, I feel like they should only be sold in single packs. That way you don't never have a spare button battery around the house. You throw out the bad one, you put in the new one and you don't have any button batteries laying around. Okay, so I also had a patient who was at the dentist and the very sharp hook that they were scraping his teeth with broke off and he swallowed it and they sent him to the emergency department, right? So I get the x-ray and it's in his stomach. He had no problems passing that whatsoever, even though it was super sharp. It's amazing. It is. Because I mean, I've even had like tacks and the thing is that they'll get coated and poop and get passed through with no problem. 
Here's one. Does this make you freak out when you see a kid running with their toothbrush in their mouth or a lollipop in their mouth? The lollipop, no, because it's not truly a pointy stick. The toothbrush, a little bit, the the pencil, because my daughter will like to put pencils in her mouth. She's learning how to draw. And then she'll just be chewing on something and then she'll get up and go to run. And the the pointy thing in the back of the throat does make me nervous. I have actually had a number of kids in the ER where they've fallen and punctured the back of their throat with um, pencil, scissors, and and a number of different ages too. So running with sharp things in your hands is actually something that I, um, I, we definitely avoid in our household. That's exactly what I was asking you. I won't tell you why we, 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 it makes me nervous. I'll keep people from being anxious. Oh no, you can tell me because I've got a, probably an even grosser story. Okay, what scares you about running with something in the, in the hands? Oh no, no, not running in the hands. It's running with something in your mouth. The carotid arteries, you have one artery that is on each side of the neck. And if you have something sharp in your mouth, let's say you're running with a pencil in your mouth and you're laughing, you're like, ha ha ha. And then you fall and the pencil goes to the side. You can actually puncture your carotid artery Sharp objects are terrifying to me. Terrifying. Okay, I want to talk about falls. What's the difference between if a child falls out of a shopping cart and falls about three feet versus if they fall down a three-foot staircase? Oh, let's let's make it more dramatic. Let's make it my house. Let's make it like a 12-stair staircase. It's hard, right? If a kid is standing on... Let's say you put your kid in the shopping cart where they're seated... And you turn your head and because they're little crazy monkeys who can do gymnastics, they climb out of their seat and they're standing on the shopping cart and then they fall. You have this child who's three feet tall. So their head is three feet in the air. The shopping cart is three feet up. So you have about a six foot fall for that head, which kids usually have really big heads. So they tend to land on their heads. They have a lot of head injuries. That's why they usually have bruises. If your kid doesn't have a bruise in their forehead as a toddler, they probably need to be allowed to do free to run a little bit more. I'm I'm joking, but it's a little serious. That is a six foot fall onto a hard floor. You can get serious injuries out of a shopping cart. However, falling down a 12 staircase flight of stairs, that is 12 one foot falls. Like you have a little bit of a fall and a little bit of a fall and a little bit of a fall. And usually you kind of like roll. So you might end up with some bruises, but you don't usually get significantly injured from rolling downstairs or even like slipping and falling a step or two. The injuries that I've seen from falling down staircases that are a little bit more severe tend to be a parent who's holding their child up in the air. Like let's let's say they have a newborn and they're holding and then the parent trips and the parent falls and the kid goes flying out of their arms. It's not common. Most parents will protect their baby instinctively and the parent takes the brunt. And so you just have a bruised up parent and very worried, very, very worried. And the kid usually is not injured. But the the only bigger injuries I've seen is literally just because the kid flew. Right, but you're still talking about a much higher fall if they're in the parent's much arms. Higher, yeah, because you're you're higher up in the parent and flying. Not a 12 one-foot falls from down the staircase. From a child falling down staircases on their own, I haven't seen significant injuries. I haven't either. But you know, the other thing that I see parents do all the time is that they worry about their kids tripping and falling and hitting their heads. And I know like the front of the head and the back of the head are really, really thick in the skull, right? So when they hit their head, even if they have a goosebump, do you worry about those big old goosebumps on like a forehead and a toddler? No. And so the, actually the good thing is we have been doing, because kids have huge heads, they fall on their heads. It's a very common problem. Whenever you have a common, common problem that comes has a lot of ER visits, you tend to do research on it to go, 
what do we need to do and what do we not need to do? And so I think we used to do a lot more head CTs back in the day, but then we did research, very, very extensive research in pediatric head injuries to figure out what types of head injuries do we actually need to worry about significant intracranial injuries, like significant skull fractures or significant bleeds. And it turns out a lot of the things that happen with kids' head injuries, they don't need anything more than getting watched for a few hours. We have to watch for concussions, but you don't diagnose concussion with a head CTU, diagnose it clinically, which is completely different. But goosebump, forehead, no loss of consciousness, no vomiting. Nope, not going to do anything for it. Unless it was, there's certain areas, like if it's the back of the head and it's over five centimeters, like it's huge and you're worried that you might miss a fracture underneath, sometimes we'll scan those. But forehead, huge goosebumps, nope. I feel so badly for all the kids that I scanned in my early career before we had that data. I scanned everybody and no one ever had an injury. I have to apologize for the radiation on kids' heads. Okay, here's the other thing you reminded me of is how much it bothers me when I see parents that don't strap their kids into things that have straps. So it's like my rule that anything that has straps, you need to use. So high chair, stroller, car seat, shopping cart. If it has straps, you need to strap your kid in because they're there for a reason, right? Oh my God, do you not strap your kid into the car seat? Oh my God, it's so crazy to strap my kid into a car seat. But they work really well if you use them correctly. If you use just a lap belt, usually the lap belt doesn't, um, because it's supposed to go across your hip bones. And that way, if you get into a car accident, the force goes to your hip bones. But if you have it up over your your belly button, like you're you're goofing around, your seatbelt is in the wrong spot, then if if you get into a car accident, that seatbelt can actually transect and go through intestines and cause lumbar fractures. And so having that lap belt be across the hip bones and not be over the abdomen is a big deal. Making sure you're using the shoulder strap and that it goes across your clavicle. So this is something I've I've had this talk with my my stepson and I always make sure my kids are getting belted in to their, I have one in a rear-facing car seat, I have another in a forward-facing car seat that they're... Their, that it goes over their hip bones, that there's a car accident, it's their hip bones that take the impact, and that the the little buckle is in the right spot over the, the mid-sternum, like under, right underneath the armpits, because if you have it too low, their head's going to be kind of a little projectile. Like I, pr- proper car seat positioning every single time you get to the car is one of my really, really big deals. I, I, I freak out about this. And... <laughs> My poor husband, he's always like, no, it's so funny. I don't put it on right because I always go around like double check. I'm like, how's my baby's car seat? No, and you need to check and make sure all the kids are in the car. I remember this family where mom didn't count all five kids and one of them was on the back gate of her minivan and she backed up over him. He was okay. He just broke his pelvis. But yeah, know where your kids are at. Strap them in the car. There's a lot of newer devices to not forget your kid in the car. Like have, have a way to remember that you have your baby with you. And when you're really tired and you haven't slept for two months and you have a quarter of the brain you normally have, so you remember, my kids are where they're supposed to be. If I'm leaving the house and I'm going to preschool, is my preschooler in my car? It sounds ridiculous, but when you're really tired, it's good to make sure you know where all your kids are and that you're not leaving them in your car. Like always have a way to check. Never, ever leave your baby in your car unattended. So like put your purse in the back seat with the baby. Exactly. Put your purse with the baby. There's um, some people talk about having a big stuffed animal that you keep in the car seat. 
And then every time you put your baby in the car seat, you move the stuffed animal to your front seat. That way you remember, okay, there's the stuffed animal. I need to put it back to the car seat. Like there's a lot of different techniques. Our newest car seat actually has a indicator. It's like a little chip that you put into your car. So it senses when there's a baby in it. And so it reminds you every time you get out of the car, like check your back seat. That's amazing. So there's like, yeah, technology is amazing. Things are always changing. What scares you more, dogs or pools? I'm going to have to choose pool on this one. And the reason I hemmed in hot is because we have a dog. So my daughter will go running up to dogs, but I've trained her to get close and then put her hand out. That way the dog can smell. And we're really working on the not running up and touching dogs because you don't want to get bitten by a dog. But dogs are on leashes and it's a little bit easier. And there's usually an owner watching them. Pools are scary. No, pools terrify me. Like how many kids have you had who drowned who were four or five years old? So many near drownings, so many drownings, uh, so many kids that have permanent neuro issues because they were near drownings that have, they um, just lost oxygen for too long and they're alive. They're just not alive in a good condition. So we actually, in San Diego, we we have a lot of drownings where it's a hot city and in the summertime and the drownings aren't at the beaches with the lifeguards. The drownings are in backyard swimming pools. One of the things that we do with the injury prevention task force and a lot of the, like the safe kids pool safety is they have something called the water watchers. And so if you're going to have a group of people, because this is usually where it happens, you have a party, right? And you think there's all these parents, someone's watching the kids. And you let down your guard. And the next thing you know, there's a kid down in the swimming pool. So what you do is every time you have a party or there's gonna be a few people, you have like a whistle or a bracelet or something. And so it's a, hey, it's your half an hour for you to be the water watcher. Like your whole job is to watch the water. You don't watch any of the kids, you watch the water. Because then you'll see if someone enters the water, just like the lifeguards of the pool. They're not watching the kids running around the pool. They're watching the pool itself in the water to see if someone falls in, if someone's having difficulties in the water. And you don't want to have someone do it the entire party, so you take turns and you have like, hey, it's your turn with the bracelet or it's your turn with the whistle. like, And making sure you have pretty much a lifeguard on duty at your parties if there's a, if there's a pool. The pools are very, very dangerous. If you have a pool at your house or you're somewhere that has a pool, making sure there's gates, there's the doors are locked, that your kid can't get out on their own unattended. It's horrifying to to have a kid who drowns. That's the same system that I've been using is that I always have like a really ugly hat and whoever's wearing the ugly hat has to have their eyes on the water all the time. And I, I did pull my niece out of the pool at a baby shower I just, there were a million people standing around and I saw her little arm coming out of the water. She just fell off the swim step. She was five. It's horrible. It's fast. It doesn't take long. It can be silent. It's something to really, really be on guard for. Right. And I think there's a lot of data out there too that the swim classes for the young kids don't prevent drowning. No. So I, I'm doing swim classes because I want my daughter to be comfortable in water. I would like her to be one of those little grommets at the age of three who's out there surfing because I live in San Diego and I live in water and I want my daughter to be very comfortable in water. But I, I know that that does not teach her how to swim confidently. And I'm, I'm like a hawk with her in any water environment. Okay, so dogs are still scary though, right? Yes, yes. Uh, what's scary about a dog? Oh my gosh. So I say this, I love dogs. I've had dogs my entire life. 
But when you think about dogs and you think, think about like an average like a Labrador retriever, right? And think of the height of the Labrador retriever when it's sitting there. And then you think about a toddler. The toddler's heads are right at the same height of the mouth. And toddlers don't usually have barriers. So they're going to run and they're going to grab and they're going to pull. I think we've all been attacked by a toddler before. It's not fun. We can verbally say stop. A dog, especially if a cranky, older, tired dog, or I got to say, I mean, my my daughter has done some not very nice things to my dog and he's, he's kind of gone, like growled a little bit. They're going to react by biting. If they're getting hurt, they might reflexively and instinctively go, hey, stop pulling my tail. And the way they're going to say that is with a bite. And if it's the face is right there because kids are short, it's usually a bite to the face, to the head, depending on the breed of the dog. The canines can be long enough that it's actually a penetrating injury. Like I have actually seen Pitbull, German Shepherd, Rottweiler bites to toddlers that have penetrated the skull and led to significant trauma and significant injury. One bite. Family dog, nice, so sweet, just hit the end of the line with the with his patience, with the toddler pulling on it, one, one little snipe warning and just tore off a cheek. Okay, now I want to talk about uh, things you accidentally drink. This one's not necessarily a poison, but this is one of the things that really scares me is when parents put something that is not a drink into a drink cup. So the most benign is when, you know, dad spits his tobacco spit into a Coke bottle and then the kid goes and drinks it thinking it's soda. Okay, that's just gross. Not really dangerous. <laughs> so gross. It's so gross, but not dangerous. And I did have a kid though who was waiting in the car and mom works at Jack in the Box and she didn't have any dish soap at home. So she filled a Jack in the Box cup with commercial dish liquid and it was red. The commercial dish detergent was red. So she left it in a cup in the car. She got out to go get something from the store and her daughter picked up the cup and drank it. And it was very caustic and burned her entire esophagus. It was really dangerous. So that's one of those things that doesn't seem very scary, but putting stuff in a bottle where it's not labeled or is not the true contents, that really freaks me out. And I'm not sure that freaks other people out. Yeah. And it's it's shockingly more common than I would I would think. And it's one of those I don't own like I I live in a townhouse. So I'm like, I don't, I don't live where we have a lot of home repairs, but that's it's a common thing where you have antifreeze or you have extra oil you have and you're trying to figure out where do I put this and people pull out Gatorade bottles and different things and pour them in. So if you're listening to this, you you're probably not one of those people who's going to do that. So, but you might need to educate if you have some in your house. Like for example, um, this is going to sound very stereotypical, but if your husband's not listening to this and they tend to do a lot of yard work, educating having things labeled and putting them in proper containers. We have numerous, numerous cases. And there's a lot of literature also, like I can pull to mind, there was two kids that had, there was arsenic for some reason, was poured into Gatorade bottles. And the two kids thought it was, they were thirsty. They went into the garage. They saw Gatorade. It was a clear fluid and the Gatorade thing. They poured the two out. The toddler got it in a bottle. And so went to drink the bottle and the older kid got it in a cup. The older kid realized it didn't taste very good, spit it out. The toddler drank the bottle. The toddler ended up dying because they were small. They got a lot and they'll drink whatever's in a bottle that's given to them. And the older kid spit it out and ended up in the ICU 
for a period of time, survived, but um, it was it was a really rough go. And there's a lot of stories like that where someone unwittingly goes into the garage, gets something where they think it's water or something, mixes the bottle of formula, gives it to a baby, and small small babies, huger concentrations of poisons, and it's much more dangerous. I know along those same lines, this never scares anybody else but me, but grandma's purse, when she leaves it on the floor by the front door, it always has like that cute little container of plastic pop-up tabs filled with candy, which are actually, you know, like her diabetes medication or her heart medicine. I've seen a bunch of kids who just ate all their grandma's pills. Yeah, there's a mnemonic and they call it one pill can kill. And it's that because kids are small and everything we look at for toxicity is like your milligrams per kilograms and their, their kilograms are so small. So that, that ratio of the milligrams per kids is a lot higher there are things where literally one of grandma's little pills, one of her blood pressure pills, one of her diabetes pills can actually kill. And so there, if your kid eats something, it's good. Go to the ER. Like if you, and bring what, bring the pills, let us know what it is. Or even better yet, have that poison control phone number on your fridge. I have it memorized, 1-800-222-1222. Poison control can tell you it. And if you can figure out like what that medicine was, does that need to be an ER visit? Or can that be, no, no, that's, that's safe. Watch for X, Y, Z, and you don't have to go in. Poison control is your best friend. Okay, so my top two worrisome poisons in the house are Tylenol and iron tablets. Do you have any others to add? Marijuana. So marijuana is legal in California and they like to make it available in so many different forms. You can smoke it, you can eat it. Heck, if you don't want like the idea of eating something that looks like marijuana, we'll make it look like Reese's Pieces and the Sour Patch Kids. And there are so many forms of ingestible marijuana that look like candy. And we see kids coming in overdosed on marijuana. And when they're over, a kid overdosed on marijuana looks like they are septic or having a seizure, they look super altered and comatose. And if we don't know that it's from marijuana, it's a kid that you're going to end up doing a CT scan, a lumbar puncture. It's a, they get a huge workup because they look very sick and they can actually get very, very sick depending on what, what dosage they get. Okay. Ready for the speed round? Yeah. yeah speed okay. round. I wasn't warned about this. Well, I think you got this. All right. All right. Number one. This is a softball I'm throwing you right here. Does it scare you when a child can't poop? Yes, but not in the way that you're thinking. <laughs> so, so constipation is so common in kids and it gets reinforced. So if you have one painful poop, then the next time you go to go poop, you go, it hurt to go poop. I'm not going to go poop. And you hold it. And then when you hold it, the water gets sucked out. So then it hurts even worse to poop the next time. And then you go, see, I was right. It hurts to go poop. I know I've, I'm learning. And so I'm going to hold that poop. And so you hold it and the cycle repeats and it repeats and repeats. And so if you have two to three hard, painful bowel movements, it's an ongoing perpetuating issue. So I'm not scared about constipation. I am paranoid about constipation. I watch my daughter's bowel movements like a hawk. And the moment they get to be little hard balls or pellets, it's say, let's do some fiber gummies. Let's work on your diet. We don't do cheese for her. We do lots of fruits and waters because I want her to potty train well. And if, I, if she gets constipated, it's not gonna be fun for potty training. And it's something that's, it's lifelong. If you're listening to this, 
if it hurts for you to poop, you need to change your diet. You're going to poop your whole life. Healthy pooping habits are important and it can cause abdominal pain. It can cause weight loss. It can cause nausea. Constipation is the bane of pediatrics. Okay. Question number two, (laughs) how do you feel about trampolines? I know when we're going to get an ER, uh, when we get an ambulance run from a trampoline park, it's going to be a good injury. Like that is going to be a serious fracture. However, you break and you heal. The things that you have to watch out for are those giant trampolines without any of that. It's hard because you, if you have no netting, you know to be more careful. If you do have the netting, you have to be careful that you don't fall out through the hole in the netting, that you're like, you don't let your guard down. You can still get injured. But I, I don't know. I was, I grew up, I was a gymnast. I grew up with trampolines. I know there's danger, but there's danger in everything. You just have to use it wisely and teach your kids safety. And for example, there's about a hundred tricks you need to learn before you ever do a backflip. And so if you're going to have a trampoline, you teach your kid how to use the trampoline and trampoline safety. Yeah. So we call trampolines fracture machines, as you know. <laughs> so the, the rule that I always have with our trampoline, and this is because almost all of the bad fractures that I saw on trampolines were from multiple kids being on at the same time. So we always had a rule that you could only have one kid on at a time. And the kids all hated that rule, of course. I would have hated that rule. Because then king of the double bounce makes people fly. Okay, I think this is my last question, but there might be more. We'll see. Okay, number three, the strings on window treatments. Positive or negative? Negative. They freak me out. I have seen way too many kids get strangled playing with the strings that hang down from window treatments. So there's there's actually a lot of ways to make them safe and secure, and that way your kid can't actually strangle themselves. That's actually one of the things also, if I see my kid playing in, in window like curtains, because she loves, it's, it's you can play hide and seek in curtains. They're so much fun. But I, I always make sure, is it just the curtain she's playing with or is there strings that something that's potentially dangerous right there that I have to watch out for? Okay, is there anything else that really scares you that you think that parents are not aware of? Yes, yes, you haven't hit my big one. I'm like, yeah, you're hitting these. So drowning, drowning is a big one. Falls at windows. I live in a townhouse. Uh, my living room is two stories up. The kid's bedroom is three story up and over cement. And the screen windows don't save you. They give something the kids can just push right out and fall out. We see a ton of falls from windows. There's actually a whole injury prevention force out of uh, New York and it was started and they called it Kids Don't Fly. Because they don't, if they fall out of a window, they're not going to fly, they're going to fall. And we see a lot of serious injuries from falling out of second, third, fourth floor windows. Families who are staying at an Airbnb for the holiday and they don't check the windows and make sure that, you know, you shouldn't have a bed or a chair, things that your kid can climb up and be playing at the window and can accidentally fall out of. Now, this is something I did not know as a pediatric ER doctor, and I feel like I should have known. I mean, like you always like know, okay, yes, there's safety ways to do this. Like there's things to help prevent your windows from opening. I I knew it, but then as a parent, I went out and found it. It is so easy to make your windows safe. $15 on Amazon and you can get a four pack of stickers. They're literally like blocks that you just stick up to your window. Your window can open over them or you pop it and it pops up a, um, a safety latch and then your windows can't open. So all of ours, we have it where it can open about four centimeters so we can have a breeze. 
So when the children are around, the windows cannot be fully opened. When they leave the house, and let's say I'm cleaning the whole house and I want to air out the house, I close the safety latches, open all the windows up, and then close them as soon as I'm done. That way the house is safe again. But big deal, windows, you need to look at where are the windows and what's their access to the windows. Let's see, what are my, my big fears? I don't have many big fears. Choking, falls from windows, and drowning. Those are my big fears. And car accidents. I, the car, I have car seats, so I don't, I don't worry about those because we have proper car seats. Everything else, really, I let kids run and play. Keeping kids safe is everyone's job, and it's a tough one. We have to find the balance between letting kids explore and learn through experience, learn by falling, learn by failing. But at the same time, we want them not to get critically injured. And I do think this is easier for me because I know which dangers are worth worrying about. Now you have some tricks for avoiding the worst injuries, like you can use window latches. We talked about pool monitors. And I know a little knowledge and some planning can really reduce our anxiety as parents. I wanna give a huge thanks to my guest, Dr. Tanafrio Odman. She keeps all of our kids safer. And I love spending time with her because she never judges me for my over-permissive parenting style. For more from the pediatrician next door, find me on the web at pediatriciannextdoorpodcast.com. If you've got a question about the weird things kids do, send an email to hello at pediatriciannextdoorpodcast.com for a chance to hear your voice on the show. I'm Dr. Wendy Hunter, and I'm the pediatrician next door. This show is produced by Red Rock Music. Make sure to subscribe and leave a review wherever it is you're listening. I'll be back next time with more.